You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey everybody, Katie here. This is a rerun from our Patreon for our Patreon supporters at the $7 and up level. I do semi-periodical episodes called Katie's Corner. And so this is from last year when Kate from the Explores agreed to join me and chat about Katherine Howard. And it was such an amazing chat and infuriating, but amazing. And I thought, after our last two Katherine Howard episodes, you guys might enjoy it as well. So if you like more content like this, you can find it on Patreon. And as always, we curse a lot in this show. Cheers, bitches. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. Hello, my beautiful queens as well, and welcome back. Today, we have my dear friend who I've actually just been shooting the shit with for an hour before finally <laughs> pressing record. We have Kate Armstrong of the Explorers podcast. Say hi, Kate. Hey, queens. <laughs> so uh, good to be with you. I know some of you are also um, Explorers listeners and supporters, so I'm really excited we all get to get get together in the corner. Yes. Uh, in our Facebook group, I feel like every time I mention the Explorers, everybody in the group is always like, we love that show. So, <laughs> and you've been on Katie's Corner before, mm-hmm. but in case anybody isn't familiar why don't you give us like your 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 30 second elevator pitch of what is the explorers podcast Ooh, okay so on the explorers we go time traveling through history every season we go to a different time and place to find out what life was like for women there so i take you through um a day in the life, essentially, of a lady, what she was putting on in the morning, cosmetics, hair, what she's eating, social conventions, dating, courtship, all sorts of stuff. The kind of work How she's, she's dealing doing. with her period. Oh, yeah, of course. How she's of going course. in the bathroom. One of my favorites. Ooh. So, yeah. Each I mean, season is a different hmm. era. Yes. I think so. We go to all That's different That's one of my places, favorite like, things. Oh, I know. I love it. Because it means you can go really, really deep on... I mean, what I want for the Explorers is to make listeners feel like they're really time traveling or getting as close as they can in audio form to a certain time and place. And they can picture themselves in that era and what might might it have been like. So I do talk about specific women from history, but I also talk a lot about your average lady and uh, groups of ladies. So I've talked about like Civil War women who um, put on uniforms and fought in the Civil War. In the ancient world, I've talked about, um, like in ancient Greece, I talk about women who were courtesans, high-class courtesans, and kind of what that was all about, or like the Vestal Virgins, or yeah, just to try to like really break open history and not just do biography, 
these, although I do those too, but talk about like, what was life actually like for women? What were they struggling with? Um, I, what was and the day to day like? And I've loved your podcast since the beginning because I think we started roughly around the same time. And mm-hmm. it's just like, um, if you like queens, but you want something that you can listen to with your mom, I think the Explorers <laughs> is a great thing. But you have also recently released your first novel, Nightbirds. Yes. At the moment, like... Uh, earlier this week, I, I I wanted to see how you were doing, so I went on to Amazon and I looked it up, and it is an Amazon's editor pick for young adult novels. I am so proud of you! Like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm getting a little tear. I am so proud of you. The title of this episode is about one thing. And it's Talking Tutors with Kate from The Explorers. Yes. So I want to talk tutors with you. But uh, yes, yes. Okay. So, like Kate was saying, um, her show, The Explorers, is each season is a different time period. So you are in the midst of season four, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the 1920s. Yes. And mm-hmm. that's the. Songbirds, or I'm sorry, the Nightbirds is kind of Nightbirds is kind of um, got a prohibition 1920s vibe to it, right? Yeah, it's like 1920s tinted fantasy is what I call okay. it. I that sounds so much fun. Like you've got flappers, <laughs> you got prohibition. Mm-hmm. That time frame doing for the Explorers, where you're going over like getting the vote for the first time. Previously, though, your seasons had been on like ancient Rome. The Tudors, Civil War era. Was it more fun? Because I feel like there's probably more concrete evidence on things from like 1920s. Mm. Or was it overwhelming moving to a time period that had more concrete research material? Man, that's a good question. I think it's it, it can be both. I mean, yeah. the 1920s is a lot more recent, so we do have a lot more primary sources. But there's also just a lot. There's a lot of information to sift through. And the 1920s, yeah, so there's a lot. And the 1920s, we think of it as very glitzy and glamorous, which uh, it was, but it had a pretty dark side. And a CD underbelly, for sure. Yeah, and you could say this about any period in history, but obviously, you know, for black Americans, the 1920s was, like, not Ooh. a chill time. Not a chill <laughs> time. Like, oh, no, we just got done with Josephine Baker. Yeah. We yeah. got done with Josephine Baker not that long ago. Not a chill time in any way, shape, or form. And I think because it feels a little closer to us than, say, the Tudor era, it also feels, yeah. I don't know, almost more personal. It's like, I feel like when I'm talking about the 1920s, I'm also grappling with a lot of stuff that feels very present to us now, and that yeah. can kind of have its own challenges. So yeah, I think there was something fun about talking about the ancient world because it's so far away from us, and we only mm-hmm. have so much information to go on. But so you that, have to make some speculation. Yeah, which yeah. can be fun. That can yeah. be fun, too. And it limits the scope a little bit, which is... Yeah. When you're a history podcaster, sometimes it's nice when an external <laughs> source is basically like, and you're done. <laughs> no more Hashtag relatable. Okay, <laughs> but the season before the 1920s is the Tudors. Yeah. And I thought you covered it in such a creative way. Because, um, look, no two ways about it. Our listeners are Tudor files. Mm-hmm. Like, they fucking love the Tudor queens. 
And so I thought you did such an interesting mix. And so let me just tell the listeners, in case anyone hasn't listened, her first episode was religion, but it was also about Catherine Parr. And then the next episode was fashion with Anne Boleyn. And then childbirth with Jane Seymour, marriage Mm -hmm. with Anne of Cleves, sex with Catherine Howard, and education with Catherine Parr. And Mm -hmm. four people that are like so into the Tudor Queen's each one of those things line up and they probably also have aspects of the Tudor life that I've never thought about. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I've never thought about, you know, with Catherine Parr, like what is a humanist education and stuff like that? You know, like, or, Oh, we think about Tudor women being so well-educated compared to other time periods, but all of them like it wasn't all women in the Tudor time so it was a really it was a great season Kate I it was so good and if any of our listeners haven't listened to it I think you should but before we go any further who is your favorite who's your favorite of the six wives who's your favorite oh I knew you were gonna ask me this yep you knew it was coming of course I'm gonna ask you that it's so hard it's so hard to say I I think knee jerk reaction Knee-jerk okay. reaction. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, okay. This is really hard. I think I'm going to say Catherine Parr. Okay. And I think it's because she surprised me the most. I okay. I think we get this picture of her because she's the last wife, and she was, like, you know, with Henry when he was very old and crusty. Um, I always – I don't know. I feel like when I first started hearing about her, she sounded boring to me. But then when I, when I listened to – like, I've listened to your episodes – about the queens i've listened to a lot of other podcasts about her i remember listening to a noble blood episode about Catherine parr and i was like yeah. actually she's really fascinating like she was married before henry yeah she had to give up a great love to marry henry out of duty she and the whole story about how she got herself out of trouble like she essentially saved her own neck with henry. smart Even bitch she was like smart bitch she was like smart on the very bitch. brink of like your, that's why the chopping education turned that shit right around she turned that shit right around in a way that two other women didn't couldn't didn't yeah that is really interesting because we think of um we think of Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn of being the most educated but mm-hmm. then he had the the three lesser educated in between Catherine Parr was so smart. She was so she smart. was educated, but she was also there's a difference between educated and have you ever seen the John Mulaney uh stand up where he's like street smarts? Like do you have any no. idea what I'm talking about? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> a very a very special group of people would know what I'm talking about there. But no, it's just like she had street smarts on top of education. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we would say practical smarts. Like yes. um on top of being so educated, she also just knew kind of how to wheel and deal. So I think that's mm-hmm. a great, I think that's a great favorite queen. Mine is always going to be Anne Boleyn. Everybody mm-hmm. knows this. It doesn't matter what I learned about any of the other queens. You could tell me that actually something we found out that Catherine Howard did was going to cure cancer. I'm going to be like, love that for her <laughs> and ride or die. That's just I who I, it. it's in my DNA at this point. I get it. Point. If, if I had never discovered Anne Boleyn, this podcast would never exist. Yeah. So, and you know what? Her yeah. episode was one of my favorites to do because that was yeah. the fashion episode. And yes. I was so, so excited to dive into Tudor fashion because it is so interesting and to talk specifically about how she and the other queens wielded fashion 
to yes. make their opinions known. It was yeah. a form of power. The it was really interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting the way, yeah. especially queens in the Tudor era, used their fashion choices and their their get-ups and like what kind of hood they were wearing to make statements and to wield, wield their power. One question, and then we're going to move on. <laughs> English gable hoods. What the fuck? Oh, my God. What, what? the fuck is that? Could you imagine? Imma- they don't look good on I- anyone. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like a giant are- pentagon that has been, like, snugly stuck onto your head. When people good. are like, Jane Seymour looks like she might have been ugly. I'm like, how- no one looks good no. with a birdhouse no. on their head. <laughs> like... Yeah, no. That look, I don't think I think we would all struggle in a gable hood. So I love, I love that Anne Boleyn rolled in and was like, "We're not doing that." No, she was (laughs) like, "We're not doing that. That's hideous. I'm not covering my hair up with this like Mm -mm. weird octagon." Mm -mm. No, and good on her. Absolutely not. Yes, she knew what worked. She knew. She knew her facial facial structure. (laughs) She knew how to work it. (laughs) All right. So, um. We've gone over the queens. We've gone over what episodes you had all of them about. But I will say, just for me, one episode in your Tudor series really stuck out for better or worse, mainly for worse. (laughs) And it was the one that made me feel the most feelings. And it was the episode on Catherine Howard. And when I'm saying feelings, most of those feelings were feminist rage. Because Mm -hmm. um, did you know history is a bag of dicks? It really, it's such a big bag of dicks. I feel like a lot of famous historians have called out, have said that specifically. But (laughs) (laughs) bag of dicks. Yep. After spending time with Catherine Howard, did your opinion change at all about her from the beginning of that episode till the end? Yes, I think. I mean, I went in feeling sympathetic for her. She was so young. She yeah. didn't have a lot of guidance. She didn't have a lot of people looking out for her. But she I didn't think... have a, she didn't have a goddamn person in her whole fucking corner. Yeah, and I think that that's really what stuck out to me yeah. in writing that episode was thinking about. I mean, oh, her story is so tragic, and you can look yeah. at some of the decisions she made and be like, "Honey, like, how did you think that was gonna go?" She didn't know. Like, which she, we did, she was into. so young. Like, she was just so young, and she hadn't really had any champions she hadn't had like even the woman who was supposed to be looking out for her I think that's what stuck out to me is the deep creepiness of her teenage years and how these older men were allowed to waltz into her life and take advantage of her like you can say I don't know it left me feeling like I think she was a lot less of an agent in her own life and her destiny than we like to give her credit for you know Anne Boleyn was her first cousin Mm. And but Anne Boleyn was raised at the court of Margaret of Austria, yeah. And uh, and then her other first cousin, who was also a mistress, uh, who was a mistress of uh, Henry VIII, Mary Boleyn, she worked at the French court. That those were those were girls that were like trained to be there. Mm-hmm. She wasn't given any kind of training. I have a this fucking guy episode on um, Thomas Howard. Oh, the uh, fucking guy. Ugh. Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard's uncle, who just threw hot nieces in front of the king, mm-hmm. and two of them got killed, and he shows no remorse. So, yeah, I hate this yeah. for her. But and the first thing, about, too, like, when you think about the court, Anne Boleyn learned in a public forum how to do the courtly love thing, how to gently Well, she refuse. knew before she got to that court. 
Right. Like, she knew yeah. how to flirt. She knew how to hold people off. And I do feel like Catherine Howard just had no one to show her how no. to do that. And these men waltz no. into her life. She's 13 when this first guy shows up and is like, yo, let's get naked. This will all work out fine. And she's like, I oh. guess. It's nice to we'll have get someone it. like me. <laughs> we'll, we will actually get into that in a okay. second. Okay. Kate doesn't know the questions about her episodes I have prepared, so we will get into that in a second. But the first things first, the first rule of being a woman in Tudor England is that you're supposed to know that having sex before marriage is a no-go, right? We got Mm. it. We know that. It's not new. That's been for a while. No sex before marriage. But in this episode, you mentioned that mothers would go out of their way not to educate their daughters at all about sex because they believe the best way to keep you pure is to keep you ignorant. And I call that gross negligence. What do you say? I, I too agree. I think that is gross negligence. I also think you're setting your daughter up for a really awkward wedding night in which she is totally beholden to the man she's married to be to like show her what sex is all about and what if he isn't gentle what if he isn't well i mean oh i just feel like not the best approach mothers to mothers i don't i don't know about it (laughs) if anyone listening to this on like on the tudor queen lore catherine howard had sex before she married king henry the eighth but even before there was that boyfriend that she like possibly married or whatever when Mm. she was like 13 she had a, a sexual relationship, even if it didn't go all the way. It was still a sexual relationship with a guy that was, like, in his 20s. And this was, like, her music teacher. And many people view her as a victim to an abuser. But she's 13. If she didn't, if no one told her this is what sex was, how in the world was she supposed to be prepared to not get into a sexual relationship if a man was pursuing her you know exactly exactly and he was that guy was in a position of trust too he was in a teacher's position and so and i think she was someone who desperately wanted to be wanted and wanted to be loved and so it doesn't surprise me at all because neither of her parents she hadn't gotten love from her parents she hadn't gotten love for anybody so of course she's someone that's desperate to be loved Mm. and if she's never been taught this is like the this is what pisses me off about this culture so bad is that it's like we're not going to teach our daughters about sex not teach them about it it's going to keep them pure but they're also mm. supposed to fight off sexual advances exactly. at all cost how are they yes. know how do they know that a sexual advance is coming and it was i mean the, the depressing part of that episode there's a lot that's fun about that episode but the depressing <laughs> part for me was reading about how of course women are the ones who are punished if they have sex before marriage right. like i was actually very surprised by how many women were pregnant when they got married. So I actually think we have this picture that in the Tudor era that most women were not having sex before they got married, which is not, doesn't seem to be the case. But a lot of these women were, like, most Tudors were kind of okay with sex before marriage, as long as there had been some kind of hand fasting or it was very clear that a marriage was about to happen. Wasn't Um, that how the engagement ring became a thing, though? Yes. So there was... The engagement ring became like a down payment. And so like, yeah. okay, now we can have sex now that you gave me this expensive rock. Yes. And so, you know, in Tudor England, there were some things about betrothal. Like the families have talked to each other. There's an understanding. And so there kind of was this space between the, you know, betrothal and the marriage where 
some parents would kind of be like, I mean, I'm not going to encourage you guys to start boning, but we're not going to throw rocks at you if you do. Like, I forget yeah. what the statistic is, but a huge number, like a surprising number of women were pregnant when they got walked down the aisle. Yeah. But there was, you know, the, the families in the community were kind of around them to make sure that happened. But for women who had sex before marriage and then for whatever reason, the man you know, abandons her or the marriage doesn't happen. It's the it's the women who are punished. They're yeah. shunned by their communities, sometimes their families, and then some of these women will end up on the street and, you know, because yeah. history is a bag of dicks, women did not have a lot of opportunities to like make a decent not a living as single No, the Tudors hated single women. They were they hated single women and they wanted to punish them. Single in every mothers way possible. Yes, single mothers were like pariah, right? Like they are the ones who had the hardest time. That was hard yes. to read about. Yeah. <laughs> but, so the next yeah. thing I'm going to – nice segue into something that's actually <laughs> going to be hard to talk about. So uh, trigger warning, if you would like to fast forward for about a minute, please do. So there was this one story that you told about um, a woman that was raped. And it mm. was like um, – Basically, they decided that, well, if she was virtuous enough, she wouldn't have let herself get raped. Yikes. But again, it comes back to, well, if she doesn't know, if she doesn't know about sex, then right. she doesn't know she's putting herself, it's victim blaming, blaming, which is also gross, but like they're teaching mm. you, don't tell your daughters about sex, but then shame them if they put themselves in a situation with a man that wants mm. to have sex. How... And yeah, did that just make you so angry to read about? Yes, it made me incredibly angry because there's such a double standard. It broke I mean, my brain. Women, like my brain yeah. literally fell out of my head and is in yeah. the garbage disposal right now. Like I was so angry when I read that. Right? Or it's like, you know, that part you of the know nothing about sex, but also you're supposed to be generally submissive to the men around you. And you're but supposed, also you're to, supposed to know when they're trying advances. to have sex with you. Yeah. Right. Like, Yes, and there were stories also about you were especially vulnerable if you were a female servant. Like, in Tudor England, between the ages of, I don't know, 15, 16, and your 20s, most people were going and working in other people's houses and doing apprenticeships. And so, like, a lot of women ended up, you know, in situations where, like, the master of the house or the son of the house or whatever. Whatever he says goes. Right, and he started pursuing her. There was one story that made me laugh, although, I, I mean, I'm sure the consequences were dire, but there was, like, a servant in a man's house and it ended up in court which is how we know about this but like they didn't have enough beds in the household or something so like the master oh, yeah, of the house had one. a fight with his wife and was kind of like okay I need the maid's bed because you know my wife and I are fighting so I need my own room right now so you just go and sleep in you know my son's room and so my the teenage maid, son's room what my, could happen what could happen everything will be fine so yeah they ended up sleeping <sighs> in the same bed and she ends up you know pregnant and it becomes a whole thing but it's like who knows what actually happened there was that like fun sexy time was that non-consensual like who knows but when you were a servant especially as a woman in Tudor England you could end up in a lot of really tricky situations yeah I put in my notes here feminist hulk mad feminist hulk smash (laughs) yes oh my god yes there were just so many double standards and this is true of course of many periods but in the Tudor period there was this like religious holier than thou attitude about like women have to hold the line and they must be be chased and they must be in charge of but we're not going to teach them what they're holding the right. line against like right uh, them, wasn't ugh. it wasn't it Anne of Cleves who supposedly said something about like so oh we, we don't be- isn't that enough to get pregnant or <laughs> we don't believe that here at Queen's Podcast because we mm-hmm. um interviewed Heather Darcy I don't oh, know if yes. you're I don't know if you know her but she is um 
probably the leading Anne of Cleves, Anna, I'm sorry, Anna of Cleves. Um, Anna, yes. Biographer, and she believes that Anna was a deeply sarcastic and like kind of, mm. and she would have she would have been raised around people having babies all the time. So surely, surely yeah. somebody because in her culture, <laughs> they were the women and men lived completely differently. Right. So she would have been surely some woman along the lines would have told her. And yeah. so her biographer, uh, Heather Darcy, believes that whenever they were like, don't you know this is how sex works? When Anna of Cleves was like, what? They, yeah. She believes she was being like very sarcastic and just no one caught up on it. Yeah. I can totally see that for her. What? You mean giving a kiss isn't enough? Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I can see it. Um, I want to step away for a second and then... I want to ask you about, in this entire series about the mm. Tudors, you talked to an historian named Elizabeth Norton. Yes. Um, I'd heard the name her. before, obviously, I, but I went and looked her up. I didn't realize what a collection of books this woman has written. Mm-hmm. How did you sync up with her and how was working with such an accomplished writer? Like, she has written more. <laughs> she has written more <laughs> on women in history Mm -hmm. Let me rephrase that. She has forgotten more on women in history than I have ever learned from the look at her, her books. How did you link up with her and how was working with her? Oh, man. So I got really lucky with the Tudor season. I do try with every season, if I can, to bring on a couple of historians who are like, you know, I'm a history enthusiast. I'm not really a historian. So I like to try to bring in people that it's like this time and place is their jam to kind Mm -hmm. of like add a little bit of that perspective of someone who's really spent years studying the period. And I got so lucky with the tutors because I essentially just reached out to some of the people whose books I'd read and who I thought would be incredible hosts to have. And one of them was Elizabeth and the other one was Ruth Goodman, who, you know, for you tutor files out there, you're like, oh my God, Ruth. Ruth is amazing. (laughs) I was like, I was absolutely shocked when I got her to agree to come on the show. I was like, this is like having a tutor rock star come on to my my little old podcast. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, 
as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. So, can we get back to sex? Uh, of course, always. Do you remember that song? Let's talk about sex, sex, baby. baby. Talk Let's talk about, about you and me. Yes. Let's talk about sex. All right. Yeah, I don't remember the rest of the words. <laughs> <laughs> so, you mentioned some pretty interesting uh, ways of thinking people had about virginity back then mm. in this episode. Mm. And I... You were talking about how, um, you know, virginity isn't a physical thing that happens to our body. It's more of a social construct. Mm. But if a woman want, there was some kind of pamphlet or something mm. that said if oh, a yes. woman wanted to restore her virginity, she could just put some nutmeg up there. I feel like and that was the ye old answer to like all vaginal issues was like, put some nutmeg, nutmeg? up there. I don't know. I, nutmeg, nutmeg comes up a lot <laughs> in my research. Why? I, I will never think of nutmeg the same. I had to stop. <laughs> I was, um, I listened to this episode. Actually, I was jogging and I had to stop jogging and rewind it and make sure I had heard you right. Yeah. Um, I actually, again, I'm ta- I mentioned like my notes and stuff while listening. Mm. I put on my notes on my phone, nutmeg in all caps and no context <laughs> Because I knew I would remember when I got yeah. home. All my other notes were like, ask her about this writer. Ask her about... All that note said was nutmeg and nothing else. Like, all caps. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Well... Nutme- what is it? Nutmeg's nutmeg. like what you put in like eggnog, right? Right. Like, or cook- or cookies or... Yeah. I yeah. Gross question. <laughs> was, it, was it known to have like a binding quality? Like why? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... It's so interesting to look at what books of the time were telling women to do for various, like, reproductive ailments, right? I think some of it was coming from male doctors of the time who had absolutely no oh, idea you don't what say. they were talking about. <laughs> yeah. But some of them, they were like, they were called books of secrets. And these were often books that were put together by Was the women. secret how to get a yeast infection? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think most knowledge about reproduction, contraception, you know, abortion from that time would have been women talking to women and writing down recipes yeah. and be like, well, I think this this worked for my grandma. Like, maybe you should try this. So I have no idea. I'm sure nutmeg probably has stuff. Maybe? I'm sure it has some kind it of healing some... property or whatever, but... Yeah, I'm not. And frankly, that. I would rather stick some nutmeg up there than have a Tudor era male doctor come anywhere near my lady palace. Okay, okay, so. okay. What'd you call it? My lady palace. My lady palace. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I believe after the nutmeg thing, y'all also talked about how men would put some pretty creative things on their ding dong situation mm-hmm. that was also meant as contraceptive. And yes. I would not let any of that. Anywhere near my lady palace. Like, no. What? I think my I think my brain just quit absorbing information. <laughs> Do you remember any of that? Like, gross shit? Like, oh, God, what? I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it, it was. was something like put spices on it. Right. Ow! Some of it was, yeah, some of it was herbal, but some of it is or things like honey and things that are like, I mean, not ideal. Oh, that sounds, okay, that sounds like guess, a but... mess. Like, are you trying to attract ants? To your yeah. to your romantic evening, to your man tackle. Oh. I know. 
man lady palace and man tackle i love it i mean it. look i also yeah. put another thing i put in my notes with no context around it was rudimary condoms and all, all oh yeah yuck. yuck 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 i feel like so they would like make these reusable condoms yeah so they i mean from what with stuff like contraception it can be really hard because we don't have a lot of um evidence that is still left from the time of what people were using it was word of so mouth yeah, so we know that they were using condoms, but they would have been really expensive. They would have been made out of, like, sheep intestine and things like oh, that. Gross. Right. So technically reusable if you gave it a good rinse, I suppose. But oh, gross. Yuck. Yeah. But I, I thought this was interesting because I feel like you also touched upon this on um, the ancient episodes. Mm-hmm. Didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. a lot yeah. of what they were using in Tudor times, you know, our understanding of medicine didn't change a whole lot from the ancient times up until semi-recently up until the discovery of penicillin pretty much (laughs) what the 1920s when did penicillin get like yeah yeah so not not a lot changed we were still working in the humoral you know theory of the body and all that but so yeah i think and again because women often get left with a bill when it comes to like sexy time and the results of sexy time um they had to come up with a lot of creative ways of both keeping from getting pregnant and trying to keep from <sighs> getting. I think especially for um, sex workers, it would have been so, so, so tricky when it came to things like venereal diseases because they didn't really understand oh. how these things were passed. And like, what do you... Anyway, no. so yes, they used a lot of herbs. They used things like rue and... What is rue? I don't know. I don't some know. kind of heathery thing. <laughs> they used hemlock. But a lot of this stuff, if you ingested too much of it or you ingested it in a specific way, it's yeah. not – it's going to make you real sick. So so maybe – yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, tricky. So to bring it back to Catherine, though, you mentioned um, during her lifetime, Princess Mary – and this is going to be really depressing. Cri- mm. Princess Mary, Mary, the future uh, Queen Mary, was given a book on female virtue. And mm. basically – the TLDR is like, if you don't leave the house, you don't get in trouble, you'll remain pure. Mm-hmm. Catherine Howard didn't leave the house. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a bummer? She really didn't. It is a bummer. Yeah. The uh, the sin came to her, as it were. Yeah. and But and she do... wasn't educated. She wasn't given the yes. tools to fight it. And yes. oh, I just hate that. Although supposedly, I forget the exact quote, but later she's reported as having said something like, she learned how a man could meddle with a maid and not get herself in trouble. So she must have known or thought she knew something, but I bet that would have been a lot of word of mouth and how accurate. Yeah, I mean, it was like a, it was a, I mean, it was like a boarding school for girls, right? Right. So they would have been How did did you talk with your friends in middle school? Yeah. I'm sure nothing we said was accurate. We said a whole lot of things. It was a whole lot of nothing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, this has been a really fun and depressing and hope smash conversation. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now let's bring it back to your book. So before we dive into the giveaway, you said that you were inspired by courtesans of history. You've been on the show a couple of times. You've talked about sex workers. Mm-hmm. Which which exact was there a period in history that made you go I got to write a book about this or was it just like a collective or can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give you a pitch of the book first. So you okay. kind of know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. So Nightbirds is a 1920s tinted fantasy and it's about a world with a 1920s style prohibition on magic. 
And within this world, there's a group of girls called the Nightbirds who can gift you their rare type of magic with a kiss for a Mm -hmm. price. Mm -hmm. They are protected by the city's wealthy great houses and their identities are kept hidden, well hidden behind masks. They're their city's best kept secret. And the deal is that they will serve as Nightbirds for a couple of seasons and then they will marry into one of these great houses and pass their gift on to the next generation of Nightbirds. So it is essentially a system in which these girls are asked to be, let's call them magical courtesans. That's not how they like (laughs) to see it, but they are essentially kissing people and giving them something for money. And they are told that this system keeps them safe against the people who would try to steal them or hurt them. Like in my world, the church thinks that magic, to use magic is a sin. And most Mm -hmm. people think girls with magic no longer exist. So these girls have to be protected against those who mean them harm. And they are brought up believing and being told, like, this system works for everybody. It's good for you. It's good for the houses. All good. It's not exploitative at all. Don't worry yeah. your pretty head about it. But, of course, over the course of this story, um, as a political conspiracy threatens their secret and the church starts to threaten their lives, they start to look at the Nightbird system and wonder if it's actually a gilded cage. So... Oh. Yes. So we've got feminism. We've got magic. We've got, you know the importance of female friendship and we've also got a lot of punching punching the patriarchy there's a lot of that a lot of feminist rage in this book so i cannot wait to read this i have a 10-hour flight i cannot wait to read this (laughs) and i actually took there isn't one specific period that i took inspiration from when it came to creating the nightbirds but i was as you know i'm very obsessed with reading about sex workers and courtesans through history because i find them so fascinating because you have this real duality with any woman working in that space like if you're a courtesan you historically it's giving you access to the kind of power and influence and money that you might as a woman you might not have in any other way like in ancient greece you had the heteri who were high class courtesans and they were known not just for their their you know sexual wiles but also great conversationalists they made you laugh they were great dates and they became the they basically had the ear of some of the most influential political men and philosophers of their day and they could make a huge amount of money in a world so where it's really money. hard yeah and yeah. so i found in every season i've done so for the civil war era as well i was really fascinated to learn about these women who worked as madams who made an incredible amount of money so yeah. On the mall in Washington, D.C., where the the Native American History Museum now stands, there used to be this really fancy brothel run by this woman named Marianne Hall. We've talked about it. Yes. Okay, so yes, I'm just repeating myself (laughs) now. But anyway, like, lady who had a lot of influence, made a lot of money, like, had the law in her pocket, all the things, right? So it actually could give them a lot of political leverage and a lot of... um, I don't know, like, it it was a really interesting position for some women to be in, and it gave them a lot of power and influence. But also, it can make women really vulnerable. It could make them, obviously, when we're talking about sex work, there's... Super vulnerable. Right. We we have to talk about exploitation. We have to talk about women who ended up in sex work not by choice. Like, you know, it can... So to look at any system where you're talking about courtesans of any kind, it's like, there is power in this, but there's also potential exploitation in this. And I was thinking about that a lot as I was writing Nightbirds, because I wanted you... you get the point of view of three different characters in this book one has you know is like a legacy nightbird has been in the system for a long time she's led a really privileged life and she doesn't see anything wrong with the system 
as it stands. And so we see it through her eyes. We also Mm -hmm. see it through the eyes of a character whose mother was a nightbird who fell from grace. She essentially broke the rules and she had a child out of wedlock. And so she has grown. How dare she? Um, (laughs) So she ended up growing up kind of like on the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. Like she had a pretty rough and tumble childhood. But her mother has passed away and her dying wish is that she wanted her daughter to become a nightbird like she was. But she's so angry at this system because she's been outside it. And she's like, the system doesn't protect us. It's out for itself. And it's using us for what we can give. And then you have the third girl who is from out of town. She's essentially from like the my fantastical version of Ireland. Like, but in Ireland, that's like quite remote and far away from this bustling city. And right. she has been taught all her life by her church going family that to use magic is to corrupt it. To use magic is a sin. And that girls with magic are are not good. So she has like a lot of, I think of it as Catholic guilt, like religious guilt about, she's like, what does it mean that I have magic inside me? What does it mean if I give it to other people? Am I going to corrupt them? Mm. Or is it going to corrupt me? And so she's like grappling with the moral implications of the Nightbird system. So you have essentially, I wanted to create a system that could seem really glamorous or dark and a little bit exploitative depending on whose perspective you looked at it through so I was thinking a lot about my history research when I was writing their stories and then there's a 1920s style prohibition on magic in this world so instead of on booze it's on magic so I did tons of research on the 1920s I love that I love that replacing one thing with the other since it is for younger people yeah I think that's really cool I like that yeah and I thought about all the implications of real life prohibition like what ripple effects did this have on society and what would happen if i replaced booze with magic in a world where women have some of the rarest and most powerful magic like it's something that lives inside a woman what happens when you try to morally police and legislate something that lives inside a lady Hmm. oh (laughs) right so i was thinking about a lot of modern day issues but also a lot of history and i draw from 1920s the renaissance i think the world feels very renaissancey with like splashes of 1920s society i was thinking about the ancient oh yeah the renaissance with the plague and everything well yeah that's pretty familiar (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think as i said the explorers in this novel will always be so intertwined for me because i was really creating them beginning them at the same time and so tons of women's history factoids and um a lot of the stories i was reading about for the podcast ended up in the book so i know i really think that explorers listeners and queen's podcast listeners are gonna find something to love i i can't wait to read it i the only the only reason i haven't read it yet is because all i read when researching for queens is biographies like i I said the struggle is real (laughs) i've got that 10 hour flight i'm gonna i'm gonna dive into this world of illegal magic i can't wait (laughs) kate thank you so much for chatting with me oh thank you for having me i love chatting with you always i love being in the corner i'm so sorry it took us so long i just life you know but Mm -hmm. um we need we should we should like rearrange we should arrange like a once a quarter kate and katie's corner yeah, we really should. The quarterly so Kate and Katie's Corner. That yes. just rolls off your tongue. <laughs> oh, I, would, I would love it. I would love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me, Katie. Cheers, bitches. Cheers. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? 
Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.